This is the Mindful Experiment Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Vic. Excited that you're here. This podcast is all about diving deep into the mind and understanding this experiment or this game we call life. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The biggest battle we will ever have to face is the battle between you and you. It's the battle of taking your mind to that limit and then breaking through. On the Mindful Experiment podcast, we will share concepts, universal laws, and interviewing individuals who have done just that, who have gone through the dark times and through those moments allowed their light to shine bright. I'm your host, Dr. Vic Manzo, and I want to thank you for listening to the podcast and taking this journey with me as we discover different avenues to break through those limits, expand your reality, and evolve into the person you desire to be. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey guys, Dr. Vic, and you are listening to The Mindful Experiment, as this week we had the great pleasure of interviewing Georgia Foster. Um, This was a great interview. She really brings in a lot of concepts about drinking less, live more, but then we also get into how to get out of this negative thinking, how to not let the inner critic get the best of you, especially during these dark times that we're facing here in the in the world today, and what are you, things that you can do? So really quick, Georgia Foster is a clinical hypnotherapist and a voice dialogue trainer. She's qualified with distinctions at the London College of Clinical Hypnosis in 1996. Georgia specializes in alcohol reduction, emotional overeating, self-esteem, anxiety, and fertility issues. Her unique and highly successful approach has helped tens of thousands of people learn how to feel better emotionally and physically. 
Georgia has been featured regularly in the media in Britain and in Australia, including Sky News, GMTV, Psychologies Magazine, and Good Housekeeping, amongst others. She is the author of six books, The Weightless Mind, The Drink Less Mind, Drink Less in Seven Days, The Four Secrets of Amazing Sex, The Stressed Less Mind, and The Fertile Mind. Her online programs are Seven Days to Drink Less, Emotional Resilience Training, Believing in You, The Weightless Mind, over uh, an ESBD families, basically it's for anxiety reductions and self-esteem. She lives out in Melbourne, Australia with her partner, Ian, and their triplets, Ollie, Finn, and Hugh. So this is such a wonderful um, interview that we had, very enlightening. Um, she goes into a lot of different aspects, and I'm really just excited to share this with you. So without no further ado, here is Georgia Foster. Georgia, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to have you on. There's a lot of things that you do that I'm just, I'm a huge uh, fan of, like hypnotherapist and doing uh, all the things that you're, you're up to, especially with alcohol, drinking less. I think there's, is there like a movement? I know you're out in Australia. Is, I know in America, I'm seeing more people talk about sobriety or drinking less and things along that. Is there a movement of that happening? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's happening all over the world um, in terms of the Western society. Um, I lived in London for 22 years and they've got, you know, sober bars there. Um, obviously, I'm about drinking less, but I think people need to be honourable about whether they want to decide to quit or whether they actually want to look at a reduction program. Gotcha. Um, one of the questions I always like to start out asking um, is – how did was when you chose to be a clinical hypnotherapist and a, and, and a voice dialogue trainer? Was this something that you kind of chose to do, or did life kind of bounce around you a little bit to get there? Yeah, good question. Um, I specialize in issues that I've personally experienced, and in my twenties, I had an opportunity. I didn't like myself. I had very low self esteem. I uh, ate a lot, drank a lot. And on the outside, I was a very popular person. Um, and, you know, to a certain extent, that was true because I had a lot of friends. But um, I was notoriously good at making sure everybody else was okay. I was in terrible, critical, judgmental relationships. And I really didn't like myself. So I had an opportunity to go to a health farm once, but, but it was a health farm for the mind. And I sat in a room with people for a week in therapy and I realized that there were people who were good looking, rich, had families, really nice boyfriends, husbands, and they didn't like themselves either. And I'm thinking, what the hell's going on here? What's, what, what is this all about? And it took a while to figure it out, but I left that particular week, came back to Melbourne and thought to myself, you know what? I'm not alone. Why are so many people who I thought looked like they had great, perfect lives, feeling the same as me. I thought my life was far from perfect. So it led me on a journey of specialising, travelling to California and living in the States for a bit and studying to be a voice dialogue therapist, which I'd love to share with people the theory behind that um, now, but obviously during this time. But I found that when I learnt this particular psychology theory, it changed my relationship with myself. Then I travelled to London and trained to be a hypnotherapist. And just the two of those particular therapies, working them together, I started seeing clients and just getting great results. And interesting, as I was doing that, I was working with that theory with myself, and I just 
noticed that I was socially became more confident, drinking less, my weight was dropping, not because I was doing anything necessarily different. I just had a different attitude about myself. Very interesting. And from that shift, everything shifted for you once you changed that viewpoint attitude again for yourself or to yourself. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it was a process for me. It was also um, along the way I had to make some changes in my relationships because one of the particular personality traits I have um, is a pleaser and pleasers tend to attract bullies. So I had to kind of get rid of, I call it the riffraff <laughs> of um, <laughs> of uh, ex-boyfriends who weren't very good to my self-esteem and just really adjusting to not being honourable to making sure that I looked after myself a bit better. Um, and, you know, I think people would say I'm still I'm still a pleaser, I'm, I'm a nurturer, that's part of my personality trait, but I'm just much more discerning about when I choose and who with I choose to be that person. You kind of like built boundaries over time, learned how to and, and developed that. Right. Oh, absolutely. And, gotcha. you know, you have to sometimes I think it's important to realize that there are people out there and I'm not being judgmental of them. It's just that they have a way of um, communicating. They have a way of um, bringing other people down. So I'm very much I'm the I'm the one that's kind of fighting the corner for the person who you know needs to have more self-esteem. So I'm, I'm I think that. Self-esteem is something that we need to learn. We're not born with it, and life can erode it. Um, and I think that, you know, my approach is that even, you know, I was talking to um, uh, a colleague yes, yesterday about, you know, I've got a, ch a children's program I'm developing about self-esteem and anxiety. And, you know, the, the bully at school often, you know, we know the bully has low self-esteem. And I say to my own children, you know, people who are mean, and unkind, they don't want to be like that. It's because they're scared. So, you know, I'm not excluding people like that. I'm just saying that I, I've had to make choices because as you get older, you have to know, you know, who makes you feel good about yourself and who you can support with their self-esteem as well without being constantly feeling what's wrong with me. I love how you bring that up about bullies, that they, that they usually are, are scared or they have the issue and they're trying to use... Um, instead of using the power within them, which is, you know, shifting like that transforms everything, they use force to cover up that by being getting that reputation of that. That is, yeah. that, is that right? Yeah, absolutely. And I encourage anybody who feels that way, you know, the you know, part of my program, um, I have an anxiety reduction program. These people are very anxious, um, very fearful about life. And that's sad to go on that journey because life could be very different for them. So true. Before we get deeper, I want to just really quickly ask, so a voice dialogue trainer, can you just briefly break down what is that or what, what, what is that? What do you do in, with that and so forth? Sure. It's a, an amazing Jungian psychology. It was created by Dr. Helen Sidra Stone. They were married and they took the Jungian psychology theory that little bit deeper and came up with their own um, practice. And when I trained with them in California, I realized that, or they, they talk about it, um, this is their theory that we're all made up of many parts, um, many different personality traits that we have. And there's one particular trait called the inner critic. And the inner critic is the part that says, 
you were terrible in, in that meeting. I bet you're going to drink too much tonight or your husband thinks you're fat or um, you're not good enough. Everybody else earns more money than you. Um, it's that negative part of the brain that literally drives us to drink. And so when I discovered that my inner critic was driving my life and how I could change it, when I used, obviously, hypnosis, which I'm happy to talk about in a moment, but the voice dialogue really, really threw me because I recognized that my head was full of inner critic comments and that I didn't have to listen to that part, that the inner critic was judgmental of me, as with my clients, but it wasn't all of me that thought that. And it, it, it allowed me to, and what they say is we're fragmented. We have many different mini personality traits running around within us. And if you listen to the inner critic too much, it will create problems for you with um, self-esteem, anxiety, relationship dynamics, job choices, love choices, because depending on where you've come from in life, the inner critic will, because it has some friends, and those friends are the perfectionist, which is the all-or-nothing person. And the all-or-nothing person is, um, you know, the person who abstains from drinking all week, but then, you know, blitzes canes at, at the weekend and drinks really quickly, um, has memory loss, um, is in the doghouse with their husband or their wife, and because they don't know how to drink in a normal way, like a, a balanced way. So perfectionists, you know, are the type of character that um, is they're high achievers, they like to be number one, um, they're poor losers, and they have a lot of um, anxiety about being wrong. So a perfectionist in, in my line, what, what I took was that Jungian psychology and I, I mixed it with um, hypnosis and realized that being a perfectionist is a protective mechanism because if you're perfect, then you'll never be shown up or be criticized. But ultimately, we can't be perfect. And perfectionists have, um, they have self-esteem issues. They can be, you know, once again, high achievers and can have good self-esteem but often their high achievement causes too much anxiety and they ultimately have to drink. And what's interesting about this particular psychology is when we drink alcohol, the inner critic goes away. So people aren't getting hooked into the alcohol. They're getting hooked into having some space from being perfect and from that inner critic voice. I mean, obviously the inner critic kicks in the next day when you wake up with a hangover and says, oh, my goodness, what did you do last night? <laughs> you know, who did you message? Um, and then the shame and the guilt kicks in and the anxiety then exacerbates. And then frustratingly for that person, they don't understand why they feel like they need to drink. But the fact is that the negative thinking has become a habit. And then that vicious cycle of continually drinking in unhelpful ways continues on. Um, and then that person can ultimately think that they have a real drink issue and they may, but my thoughts and my experience of being in this business for like 24 years is that if you have a perfectionist personality trait, if you have a strong inner critic, then you will be driven to unwanted behaviors such as overeating, drinking, anxiety, um, depression. These are all of the things that the inner critic and the perfectionist can trigger in a person. 
So interesting. I love how you bring that up and how it's more of the self-critic that, you know, that they lead that to. And it, it like perhaps has that go away. Um, my background besides being a chiropractor is I also a, a lot of energy medicine and healing and stuff in that nature. And, and one of the things I learned was um, through my studies and all that is that when people drink, why they, or any addiction, um, they, it's the feeling of the, 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 the fault, we call it the false vibration. They get to this certain level because again, like you said, the self critic's gone. So now mm-hmm. they can just be free from that, which gives them that f- a different feeling and that essence. And usually they're more addicted to that than they are the critic. And I love how you brought up the next day while well, it's back. And then here comes shame and guilt, right? Mm-hmm. Which I think is fascinating because then that put, doesn't it put them in more of like a, a perpetual cycle that just constantly gets worse unless they break out of it? Yeah. I mean, the thing is a lot of people end up quitting because they just can't deal with the, the, um, the, you know, the, the, the dual personality traits. Um, and they find that it just, it's just too hard to try and get that balanced drinking in there. And that's what the point is of, you know, all the, the things I'm saying is you don't have to be perfect you know, you can live a life authentically for yourself where you are genuinely, you know, you're having a bit of a bad day and you realise that it could things could have gone better. But um, if you start to manage that inner dialogue, I call it inner dialogue, it's, you know, I go much deeper with the hypnosis because the inner critic ultimately, you know, we know, you know, the neuroscientists have called it the reptilian part of the brain. We know that the inner critic is 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 um, from the amygdala, which is the fear-based part of the brain. And if you become familiar with being in that part of the brain too often, then you create bad habits to try and avoid those feelings. Um, but as you said, alcohol uh, produces dopamine. There were people, you know, they drink, they don't realise they're actually asking for the dopamine. <laughs> they're asking for some space. And that dopamine is what they get addicted to. So true. Why do you think some, cause you know, some, I mean, we all have the same self critic, right? I know I do. I'm extremely hard on myself. Um, and I, and, and, and so forth, but do some people have less of a self critic than others or is it just across the board? All the oh, same? Some people, no, some people have really well managed inner critics. The bad news is you can't get rid of it, but you have to learn to manage it. And knowing the signs of it makes a huge difference. And I say to people, write down what your inner critic is saying. If you write down what your inner critic is saying, I guarantee you, you wouldn't speak to your best friend like that. You wouldn't speak to your worst enemy like that. You wouldn't speak to anybody like that when you're in a bad mood with them. Because, you know, I think that we, you know, we say to people, we never hear enough good things about ourselves. They've got to come from within and if you've grown up in a judgmental family or in a family that expected a lot of you, I know a lot of parents, um, their self-esteem comes from their children, which is a real shame. And a lot of children have taken on board without knowing it consciously that they have to be the doctor or they have to be the lawyer or they have to be the whatever. But ultimately they really want to be an artist. Um, but their parents say, well, you know, artists, you know, they end up in the street, they end up being drug addicts or whatever it is. And so we have these opinions about who we should and shouldn't be. And what happens is the inner critic develops at a very young age and that's when it, you know, becomes a problem if a 
if somebody feels they're not good enough or whether it's through bullying at school or from a judgmental parent or could be a sibling or something, whatever, is we start to feel that there's something wrong with us. And that's when alcohol can start to take a hold. Um, or drugs, for example, uh, the same thing, um, because it gives us an opportunity to be in a in the headspace without that criticism. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, you know, criticizing parental um, guidance. I'm just saying that, you know, what we do know is, you know, thankfully now with the neuroscientists having studied the brain a bit more, that emotionally, you know, we can change and that our history does not represent our future. And I'm very much a progressive therapist in my approach. And I believe that we all, talking therapies are great. I think they're important. But a lot of people, by the time they find my program, they are tired of themselves. They're bored of themselves. They're sick and tired of their drinking. They want that change. And we're talking people, they're not sitting on a park bench. They're fully functioning mums and dads, corporate people, lawyers, doctors, nurses. Um, I mean, the medical profession statistically are the highest drinkers. So, you know, in terms of if you're talking about professional lives, they're in the, they're in the coalface at the moment, as we know. Um, and I think it's really important to honour that we all have vulnerabilities. We all have, you know, we all have scary moments. But if you let them get the better of you, then you can get yourselves into tricky situations with drinking. I love that. Yeah, it's so true. Yeah, medical, medical, the world, they, uh, yeah, they do. I've, I've heard that before. So it's interesting. Um, I was going to ask, uh, my, my question's going away from me. It'll come back. Um, but yeah, it's interesting how we, um, when it comes to, you know, I want to get to the negative thinking, how that really, it seems like that plays the biggest role in this. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Right. And what, you know, look, we look at society today and we're looking at where we are as a world. And a lot of, a lot of people, a lot of the masses are um, stuck in this fear state. And you brought up reptilian brain, which is so true because when you hit that fear, um, amygdala fires, you start going back to primate brain, all of a sudden now you're in this survival I always I tell people you're like a primate again and they're like what <laughs> I'm like you're going back mm-hmm. to being a primate because this is a survival instincts are coming out and how with, with society today how many how can people shift how can people you know like break this pattern of this fear of where we are today because the media I don't know how it is in Australia um, I know in America they are feeding off this the media is where there, as soon as something comes up or a new thing, or all I hear about is Italy, which I'm Italian and I have family in Italy, but it's, it's, it, but when I'm hearing the media talk about it, it's, it's, it's so fearful and it's getting so many people hooked in it. How can we break that pattern? How can we shift or make that change during these times? Mm, I think it's a really important question at the moment. And my answer is, you know, we are in a situation that we, we can't control it and, you know, I always think the best way to deal with that is I know we need to sometimes find out what's going on in the world, but sometimes we don't and decide why we're in this position to choose to spend hours that you're not focused on that, focus on something that's really positive. 
focus on things you can do that can put you in a better space, you know, and I, I know it sounds a bit cliche, but put that movie on that makes you laugh. Call that phone, call that friend who makes you feel good about yourself. It start to stimulate the endorphins in your brain. Um, a lot of people doing um, um, in-home workouts. Um, a lot of people are deciding to read that book that they've always been looking forward to doing. And I think it's a time when we need to sit back. A bit of reflection is quite good. Um, but, you know, what's really important is that sometimes we, when we have too much time on our hands, and a lot of people are saying, I'm bored out of my brains, I want to be out, I'm a fitness person, I can't stand being inside, whatever, you know, use this time to be constructive, to do some good things for you. And this is, I think, the perfect time to recalibrate, to rejuvenate, to heal, to replenish, and start to think, we know this moment will pass, we know it's going to happen. Of course, we don't know when, but we've got to arm ourselves with emotional stability and emotional resilience. And the most important thing to do is you have to do that from within. You know, buying that pair of shoes online is not going to do it. Um, planning that holiday when things are over is, you know, it may give you some space to relax, but it's about working from within. And we know that, um, you know, the Dalai Lama says that if everybody meditated for 25 minutes a day, the world would be a better place. And I think that's really true. We don't use that thinking time productively enough. And that's what I believe we should be doing more of. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I was, um, I, I um, last week, well, this week, uh, I actually combined, because I used to separate my chiropractic and my tribe that I work with them. Um, and then I have my mindset side. And this week I was like, I need to combine these because they both need, they both, I want to help both. And um, I love when you said, watch that funny movie or call your friend that makes you feel good. Cause that was one of my recommendations this week is like, get out of that state and um, just take time to, you know, um, um, laugh and, and spend time with family. Cause I don't, it's funny in America. I feel like we went back into the early nineties in America because when I'm driving now and going to work and things like that, everyone's out, kids are out, families are together, such and things are like this. And I look and I go, there's always a silver lining in everything. Oh, completely. I think, you know, there will be some good things that will come out of this um, without, you know, being disrespectful for the things that won't. But, um, yeah, I think that what I am discovering with, um, you know, people emailing me, um, my audience, I, I've offered them a completely free program, recording and it's called A Space Between Your Thoughts. And, you know, really what this recording about is what between the negative thinking, we've got to bring in some more positive thinking. Um, and we've got to stop thinking about the future and be a little bit more present. And I know for people, like for example, perfectionists, they don't like being in the present because they're always worrying about the past or the future. But we have to at some stage take stock and think about us as individual people, obviously as family members, um, we have to think about elderly people and be, you know, caring and nurturing of people who are isolated. But we have an opportunity at this point in time to go back to the basics. And I completely agree with you. We have a massive uh, community of Italians in, in, in Melbourne um, and they're so family orientated. And I love that. I absolutely love that. And I think that 
there is something really positive about having um, people around you of all ages to learn from. My kids, my parents are in their 80s, and it's just incredible to see them together. And this time more than ever, you know, obviously nurturing and looking after. And, and I think that we don't, we don't need that iPad. We don't need, you know, that brand new scooter. We don't need that brand new car. I mean, you, of course you can have it because you work hard, et cetera, but we've got to work out how best to be as a human being. And I think this is what we need to be thinking about now. I love how you bring that up. That's, that, that's so true in so many ways. I think this is opening up doors for people and having them self-reflect. Like my wife and I were talking and um, <clears throat> she was like, I hope people can see how hectic their lives were and start mm. to make the change. Mm. So when life comes back, because like I said, no one's at schools. Um, they're, they're homeschooling for some. There's no sports. Like in our, the town I practice in, I can tell you, I see a lot of kids, uh, 50% of my practice is pediatrics. And what I find interesting is like the kids have a busy, well, they have a way busier schedule than what I had as a kid, but they're, they're like, they got school, they got the homework and they got to go to sports. And then after that, they may have one sport or two sports they play. And they're like doing things all day long. And look at mom, mom's stressed because she's got to drive the kiddos all over the place. And I'm like, I hope they find the, 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 the you know, the, the, the aspect of like, okay, what's really important in life. Like I'm doing wrong. I'm a big sports addict. I'm a sports uh, advocate. I'm, I'm huge into it. it. Taught me a lot about life, but I think it's one of the things where it's it's like recalibrating things, and just mm. as you said, and um, in that process, mm. I do ha- I do have one a question to ask about this though with the negativity. Why is it that we as humans um, get so hooked in negativity? I mean, it could be the fear of what's going on in the world today. Or it could be something that the media may put out, or it can be gossip. It's like we, as humans, like the negative is what we pay more attention to, or it could be in life, right? Um, mm. uh, the worries of, you know, uh, it could be a worries of a mom with, with her children or things like that, or am I being good enough, not good enough? Uh, it could be a dad too, thinking the same way. Um, um, or, you know, in business, I mean, just why do we, why do we let that override us more than just shifting our focus into the positive and just doing that? Mm, that's a good question. Um, well, once again, the reptilian part of the brain, they think it was created when we lived in caves and there were bears around the corner. Uh, I know that some parts of America have bears, but we don't in Australia. We have other things, though. But the, th- the fact is that that we are, we are trained to think of the negative before the positive, you know, a bit like a good girl guide or boy scout. Um, but the issue is if we start to train our brains to be in that space on a regular basis, we will be fearful about life. What we know about the mind, it, you know, it, it, it doesn't really like change because what the inner critic does, and this is what I really love about this theory, it, the inner critic pretends to look into your future like a crystal ball. It doesn't have a crystal ball. And what I love about this work is to say to people, you know, if you're feeling scared, you're feeling scared because the inner critic is kicking in and saying, this might happen, but it doesn't know it's going to happen. It's using all the references from your past, such as you're going to fail at getting that new job, or um, if you decide to drink less, you're going to have to um, reject some of your friends, or if you drink less, then it means that... um, 
um, you have to look at your lone life or whatever it is. The fact is that the inner critic is a bit of a pain. It does have its positivities. It does forewarn us. But if you can train your brain to recognize the inner critic, which is what I do, then you can make choices rather than falling into the same patterns of behavior. And the inner critic is the part that when you recognize it's a one, it's just one voice. It's not based on truth. Then you can start to, I call, bring in that intuitive, healthy part, that confident part. Now we know that part is there because the people who've decided to listen to this, you know, they have that part. We all have that part. But just through life experiences, we tend to suppress that part because the inner critic says, I'm the boss. I'm the one that's going to take over. I know I can protect you. But if you listen to the inner critic, you will have procrastination. You will avoid change. Um, and the reason why, just to answer your question again in another way, that the brain doesn't like change because it actually has to exercise itself more and the brain's quite lazy. So unless you train it to do something different, it will continue on in a certain way. That's why people who, um, who like yourself, who are really into their sport, are good. You, you get lots of endorphins from sport. Uh, when you're feeling good about yourself, when you're physically working out, it's because the chemical reaction in your brain has changed. So a lot of people are not just doing sport for the fact they're competitive or they like it. They're doing it because they get a really good chemical response from it. Very cool. Now, real quick, just uh, just for uh, nomenclature stake, uh, stake. What it, inner critic is that also like the ego? Or are they two separate things? Uh, well, I think we all need an ego, but in a positive way. I call it the intuitive ego. Um, nice. You know, we're allowed to feel proud of ourselves. We're allowed to feel good about ourselves. Um, in Australia, we call it the tall poppy syndrome, um, which means that the tallest poppy in the wind gets blown down. And I think it's very true. We're not really honourable to, you know, beat our chests like Tarzan and say, hey, I'm really good at this. But we should be. We should be proud of that. And the inner critic stops us from doing that. But um, I'm saying, you know, we need to we need to instill in our own minds and our children and family members that we we should be proud of our achievements. We should be proud that, you know, we are vulnerable. And I always say you know, the most charismatic person isn't the richest, slimmest, tallest, most gorgeous person. <laughs> that charismatic person um, owns up to the vulnerabilities, um, has emotional intelligence, um, is honourable to things can't always be perfect. And that's what I like. My, that's my goal with people is that they start to realise that we're, it's an ebb and flow of life and that we can train our brains to be in the more positive side with that healthy, intuitive part, which is our core part, um, and deviate to the inner critic, be a perfectionist or a pleaser, but that our main core personality trait is that authentic self, and that is what I like people to experience. I love that. And you're right. The brain is lazy. It likes to be comfortable. That's what it likes to, to keep you in at all states in, in mm-hmm. that right in that process. Um, when it comes to the inner critic, though, like when it worries about the future and so forth, um, how much of that plays a role or how much does your childhood play a role? Because I know like the, um, you know, critic and so forth is like 
hey, you know, you want to, let's say you want to start your own business, but you remember as a kid, you tried something new and you, and you got made fun of from your schoolmates and that like set an imprint into the subconscious. And now all of a sudden, anytime you try to do something new, whether you know it or don't, you are, that limits you. How much that, does that play a role? Oh, massively. Yeah, yeah, massively. Um, Well, because once again, the critic says, well, you know, when you were a child, this happened to you. And even though you might be 25, 35, you know, the the mind doesn't work chronologically. It works emotionally. So whatever that person's fears are, when you want to make that change, those fears will come up. And that's why so many people don't make the changes. That's why people stay in negative relationships. It's not that they choose to. Their brain thinks it's normal. So, you know, you could liken it to, you know, no one's born a racist. Um, it's indoctrinated into us. And we just create these beliefs. They're beliefs that have no foundation. It's just what we think is normal. Um, and, you know, we can see it in society uh, in terms of, you know, women. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we are equal. But in some societies, that's not true. It's, it's just it's what we, what we believe. And, and I'm very much a, a, a supporter of, well, you know what? Your brain can change. You may think this is who you are. This is a story. This is based on where you've been, um, but you can change. And the good news, you, you know, you have the resources to make that change. But the mind, it dislikes things being familiar. And once it gets used to that change, doing that different activity, whether it's feeling more confident, whether it's, um, you know, somebody's got a fear of flying and then gets on a plane, you know, the brain will adapt. You just need to give it the right resources, the right tools. I love that. Now, I know with hypnotherapy, um, you can achieve faster results than trying to consciously work through things. Instead of working through the subconscious, you make the change and things can just shift. Um, one, is that true? Um, and then two, how does hypnotherapy help an individual then um, break through these subconscious barriers, if you don't mind sharing? Yeah, sure. Well, what I love about hypnosis, it's very much forward thinking. I mean, some hypnotherapists use regression techniques. I'm very much more the neuroplasticity theory that you know, we can change, we can move on. I'm, I'm what I call a progressive therapist. And even though some people will say to me, Georgia, I know where my problem stems from. I know why I drink too much. I say, well, that's great, but let's move on. You know, because it's about, you know, we're all born with neural pathways. And there are certain neural pathways that are very well-worn, well-treaded paths, and they are the habits. So what hypnosis does, it goes to that part of the brain which I call the unconscious mind. Some people call it the subconscious. The unconscious mind, where our emotional habits are stored. So people say to me, Georgia, I don't have any willpower. What's my problem? And I'm saying, hang on a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. Willpower doesn't exist. If your conscious mind wants to do something, but your unconscious mind has a different opinion, such as drinking too much because you're shy or anxious, your mind will continue to listen to the unconscious mind, override your conscious wishes, because that's where emotional vulnerabilities are. In order for you to be successful, you have to get both parts of the brain to be in unison, to be talking to each other, to agree. And what I love about hypnosis, it 
cuts to the chase. It's not a lazy way of doing things. It's just a smart way to do things because you know, we could, I mean, I could talk to on blue in the face about why this happened to me or whatever, but the fact is it's a story. It's happened and I'm very much the believer that we need to move on and that change is really important. Change makes us grow and evolve. So hypnosis is a great way to stimulate the neural pathways that represent who you really are. Because when we know, I mean, in the old days, we talk about the sages or the meditators, um, that, you know, they talk about the third eye, which used to be kind of visually in the middle of the forehead. Now what the neuroscientists are saying is they were right all along, that we were poo-pooing them and criticising these you know, these hippies or whatever you want to call it without, you know, being judgmental here, but just as a, a reference point. Um, an actual fact that when we're in the meditative state, which I might add is the same as hypnosis, your mind is in the prefrontal cortex, which is in the middle of your forehead. It's a part of the brain that lights up when we're calm, authentic, intuitive, wise, problem-solving. And hypnosis takes you to that same space. And it's just a lovely window of time. It's around about 20 minutes. Um, and once your eyes are closed anyway, you naturally go into a hypnotic state. So what I do is I utilize that time with the, the dialogue training I, I was talking about before and start to train the brain to tune out of the inner critic pathway and tune into that authentic self, which ultimately is the neural pathway of the prefrontal cortex. Now, I'm not suggesting that we don't go to that inner critic pathway because we have to, that's normal. But it's about understanding that that pathway is not the truth. It's just a moment in time. And what I love about it, you know, this, we're not talking just about drinking. I have a program called The Weightless Mind. It's the same thing with food. It's the same thing with cigarettes. It's the same thing with anxiety. Um, and we tend to think that defaulting to negativity is correct, but that's not correct. It's just a learnt behavior. So hypnosis is just a beautiful way to lift someone's spirits to energize them as their pathway, the neural pathway that goes to the prefrontal cortex, starts to get exercised, starts to become familiar, starts to become the habit. And you can do that very quickly within about 20 minutes. That's pretty, pretty, uh, pretty fast, if, if I may say. Oh, it's amazing. Uh, you know, I mean, the thing is that people say to me, Georgia, you know, you know, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Well, we now that's now unfounded, as I said before, that, you know, the mind is, it just, it just does what it thinks it needs to do. Um, but 20 minutes is, when you're in hypnosis, is, a, is, is quite a long time. I mean, my program, the seven days to drink less, there are like, there's five different hypnosis recordings in there um, because we're going through the different stages of working with the mind and exercising it in different ways through hypnosis. But fund fundamentally, when I first trained to be a hypnotherapist, um, and I'm not criticizing my own profession here, but I was shocked at how quickly people would quit smoking, how quickly they could get on a plane. I'm thinking, my goodness. But it's incredible when you go to the source where all emotional behaviors are stored, that part of the brain gets it. You know, you, you're just really going to the source where change is possible very quickly. 
Yeah, I've heard many stories on hypnotherapy about the power behind it. And it's just fascinating. I, I always, I, the way I understand it is it's kind of like you're getting into the root file of what started everything and started that whole journey. And you're just kind of like releasing and like letting it go. And then it, it may come back, but you can use anchors and other things to kind of get you back in that place so you can retrain the neurology, the neuroplasticity to connect in a different way in, in, from that process. Yeah. And I think it's a really great tool, as I said before, for people who are just so sick of the behavior. They're so tired of the repetition of it and really feeling hopeless. Uh, and that's what I find with, with, with people who drink too much. You know, most people don't belong in AA. Most people are habitual emotional drinkers. And that's what my program is about, is that mum at home when the kids go to bed and says, I've done my bit with my life and my children, now I'm going to have that bottle of wine or open up the second one. You know, they don't want to drink that much. Their mind has literally trained them that this is something that is normal. It doesn't mean it's right. It doesn't mean it's wrong. Um, and once again, it's, it's, it's not that we want to hurt ourselves. It's just that alcohol in particular um, because the critical part of the brain shuts down and the dopamine kicks in, we get hooked into just having that space. And then once again, that becomes the habit. So my, 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 my belief is that if we get the brain to be more present in the prefrontal cortex where we produce the right chemicals such as serotonin, melatonin, all the good tonins, as I always say, um, we don't need to reach for those substances we're in a better space. We are in a calmer, more intuitive place. As I said, we will deviate to the inner critic and achieving lots of things and being driven is good. But sometimes we just need to stop. We just need to be. And hypnosis is a great way to do that, to recalibrate, to rejuvenate the brain and stimulate the pathways that give us a choice to make changes. And that's what I think hypnosis does very quickly. Oh, so true. I think we, we, and I don't know how it is in Australia as much, but I know in, in the United States, people just being is so foreign and so different because we're such a connected world and there's so many reasons behind it, but it, it, it's so fascinating how just being with yourself um, is, is it, it freaks people out. I have some people who I work with when it comes to just meditating. And I'm always like, when you start, you're going to have some, uh, you're going to get frustrated. You're going to have some other things. And it's like, no, I had anxiety. I, I just couldn't, the, all these thoughts, it's just unreal. And I'm just like, don't worry, give it time. You'll get there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's what's great about hypnosis. I mean, meditation is fantastic. And as I said, it's the same brainwave, brainwave activity. However, in hypnosis, you can have a busy brain. So that's quite nice for those people who um, just think they can't turn it off. Um, that busy brain syndrome that we all get. And what people don't realize is a lot of people, they say to me, Georgia, I almost have an alcohol-free day, but I just can't switch off before I go to sleep. I've got to have that little sneaky whiskey before I go to bed or whatever. Now, that's the inner critic because you can have a really crazy, busy, busy day and get a lot of things thing done and, you know, feel like you've achieved a lot. But in the quiet of the night when it's dark and the head goes to the pillow, the inner critic comes in and says, why didn't you do this today? You've got to do this tomorrow. La-di-da-di-da-di-da-di-da. I always say to people, if you've got an issue with sleeping, guarantee the inner critic is behind that. 
that's a good observation. I could totally agree with that. And does that happen more in women than men? Because I know like the work I've done, the training I've done in neurology, it's one of the things where I'll tell women for the most part, like um, when it comes to like emptying the mind um, before they, let's say they do a gratitude and stuff like that. I always tell for a woman, don't just focus on the three or five best thing, three things you're grateful for before you go to bed. Instead, get the stuff off your mind that you're thinking and then replace it with what are you grateful for and then go to bed from there. Is, is it a difference between male and female or it, it doesn't matter? No, I don't think there's any difference. Um, I think statistically, I think women are better at talking about their feelings um, and honoring it um, than men. But I think that we all have the same concerns and the same fears deep down. It's just how we interpret it. But I think that, I think, um, you know, it's not necessarily the a pleaser is not necessarily a female trait, but I think women, because we, we, we're the only ones who can give birth um, and we tend to be more on the nurturing side. That's not necessarily true, but statistically women tend to be more thinking of others if they're parents. Um, and, of course, fathers now are so much more involved with the upbringing of children, which is fantastic. Um, so that's changing as well. But I think it's it's I think we need to um, between the sexes. I think that we just need to understand that we do have sometimes differences in how we think, um, but generally we all have the same vulnerabilities. I love that. Yeah, totally. That's good stuff here. Um, Georgia, we're getting to wind down here, but before we do, I always like to um, just ask for those who are listening and loving everything you've been sharing here, how can they connect with you? Yeah, sure. Well, my website is georgiafoster.com. Uh, Georgia is in the state of America and foster is in the beer.com, georgiafoster.com. Um, and my website, you can see all the different programs, Seven Days to Drink Less, um, the Anxiety Program, Emotional Resilience, the Food Program, The Weightless Mind. But any questions, please, I'm here. Um, I'm, I just love what I do. I've been in this business a long time. I'm 53 now, and I still, to this day, am very much um, in the cold face of helping people because I believe that we all, we're constantly evolving and we constantly need to look at ourselves and improve our self-esteem. So I am a big, big believer in hypnosis. Um, obviously, meditation is the same thing. So any questions, please just let me know. Awesome. And for all the listeners, I'll have all information in the show notes for you to connect with her. Um, Georgia, this was very enlightening. I really uh, appreciate having you on and, and you taking time. We shared some space and you just sharing this wonderful information to help empower the people, especially during uh, these dark times that we're facing globally. Mm, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the podcast. For past shows, please visit www.empoweryourreality.com. I hope this show inspired you and added to your life to help you on the journey to rediscover who you really are. To connect with us on Facebook, please visit www.facebook.com forward slash Dr. Vic Manzo. Check us out on Twitter. The handle is Dr. Vic 21. Follow us on Instagram, www.instagram.com forward slash Dr. Vic Manzo. If you were inspired by the podcast, pay it forward by sharing it with someone who you know can benefit from it. 
thank you again for listening to the Mindful Experiment podcast, sharing paths to help you rediscover your infinite potential. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. If you found this episode to be inspirational, pay it forward by sharing it with someone that you know can benefit from this. If this is your first time tuning in, please follow us, connect with us so you don't miss another amazing episode. And until next time, keep rocking and rolling.